TCU has to be a more physical football team in 2024. What else has to change in the new year? We'll talk about that more next here on Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team every day. You are Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked On Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm your host, Stephen Simcox. Happy 2024. To everyone watching and listening, please subscribe on YouTube. Best way to keep up with the show is to subscribe on any podcast platform or free and available wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. And then also the YouTube channel is back up and running in the new year. Thank you for all your support in 2023. And we're turning the calendar. We got basketball this week. Week, excuse me, the TCU women are taking on Baylor tomorrow. Uh, number 23 ranked TCU women. They won their Big 12 opener over BYU. They'll take on the Bears at their new arena pavilion there in Waco. Baylor's ranked number six in the country. The men will kick off conference play this week Saturday against Kansas. Uh, the men finished their non-conference play by defeating Texas A&M Commerce on New Year's Day. So that's the basketball side of things. We'll still have plenty of football coverage throughout the offseason. And I wanted to start today with what does TCU have to change in 2024? We're going to call them the TCU football New Year's resolutions going into this next season. I got three for you. Watching the playoff games last night, I think the good news is we did see this TCU team sort of go toe-to-toe with Texas and had a chance to win that game towards the end, had a nice comeback towards the end of the football game. But when I was watching those teams, and Washington and Michigan ended up winning those games on Monday, the physicality just stood out. And that was what was so different about that 2022 TCU team and what ultimately propelled them to new heights on the O-line and D-line. They were just so solid, really on the offensive line, especially until that Georgia game. They just won that battle almost each and every week. And so I think the first thing is it's easy to just pin it on the offensive line. But in my mind, a more broad kind of big picture thing that TCU just has to do in 2024 is they have to be more physical. They just have to be more physical football team. And it starts up front. Now, the good news is they've done some things to address that. They've been heavy on getting offensive line help in the portal. They went and added Bless Harris from Florida State. He'll probably be your starting left tackle going into the season. A Cade Bruno from Louisiana Tech who played tackle at Law Tech might flex inside. Remington Strickland from Texas A&M, who's been a reserve lineman for the Aggies for a few years. Um, Cade Bennett from San Diego State was also at Oklahoma State should be able to come in and and take one of those guard positions as well. They've made an emphasis to try to get better up front. And they've had a nice balance of most of those guys are going to be what you would say immediate impact players. Should be able to come in and right away crack the two deep. And then also you have some more developmental projects that are good for, that should be good for a few seasons. Or you can at least get them in the door and say, okay, what do we have to work with here? Because the issue that the team has right now is the the room was so thin on both sides of it. Like, you're losing four starters from uh, this previous team that was very inconsistent on the O-line. And then your young guys aren't really 
there waiting in the wings to take over. So they've gone really heavy and, and made it a priority both in the portal and these two recruiting classes. They also added Howard Sampson, the big tackle uh, from North Texas, who didn't play a whole lot for the Mean Green, but has huge size at 6'7", and they're hoping he can come in and be someone who can kind of stabilize this thing as well. So they're they're working on that aspect of it. Um, and I think this is a huge year. Like, Kaz Kazadi got so much praise a few seasons ago for taking TCU into the modern era when it comes to nutrition, strength and conditioning, getting, to, getting them to a place where they were on par with schools across the country in, in the new modern way they were doing things. Because one of the things Sonny Dyke said when he took over was uh, they had been operating with a very archaic style when it came to off-season workouts, strength and conditioning, and improving in that area. But then this year, it honestly took a step back. They dealt with some injuries, but that wasn't really the big concern to me. It was more the fact that they just kind of got whipped on both sides of the ball physically and up front. And, you know, Texas found this out. Like, they, for years, they were bringing in a lot of talent, but it was mainly at the skill positions. They typically had really good receivers, running backs. Quarterback was sort of inconsistent in the question at times, even though they got some good play out of Sam Ellinger for a few years. And then defensively, they were fast, they were tough, they were physical, but the O-line and D-line had to get better, and they went and, and made that a priority. They went and got Byron Murphy, Devondre Sweat on the defensive line. They got much better in the interior. Uh, they got much better up front on the O-line. And, you know, those skill guys that they had brought in were suddenly so much better and were able to live up to their full potential because you had a team that could block up front. So offensive line-wise, they're going to have to run the ball more consistently. Amani Bailey had a good season from a stats perspective. And he's going to parlay that into what hopefully is, is a chance to play in the NFL. He put up good numbers, and he had some really good games. Early in the season, especially SMU, Houston. And then later in the season as well, he sort of picked things up, had some good yardage against Oklahoma, did some nice things in the second half against Texas. But bottom line was, they didn't trust this offensive line to run the football. And we saw that in short yardage situations with the way they approach play calling. And Kendall Bryles has to be better this year, too. I do want to make that clear. I feel like as we've gotten further from the season, there's been some more excuses about the offense and kind of this idea of like, well, he's a good play caller. He'll figure this out. I hope that's the case. But he was bad last year. Like, we can we can sit here and go down as to the reasons why. Like, I think there's legitimate re reasons as to why he struggled. And some of them were outside of the control. But bottom line was he didn't get the job done. And in my mind, like, this is a major put-up-or-shut-up season for him. Because Joe Gillespie, on the other side, like, he lost his job. And I'm sure he had some valid reasons as to why he was struggling. But at the end of the day, he wasn't getting it done, and so they moved on. And I think you have to have that same kind of standard for Kendall moving forward. But that's a discussion for a different day. It starts with getting better up front on both sides of the ball. And I'm encouraged by what the defense can be under Andy Avalos and what they can do as they create more favorable situations for their defensive line. But you still have to execute it. I do want to remind people that like, just, just changing your scheme is not a magic elixir to having good defense. You still have to have good players, and they still have to play well. I mean, you can, you can scheme it up and be better. And I think being more aggressive is going to help. That's one of my uh, things that I want to change. I'm going to get to here in a second. But you still have to win the one-on-one -on -one battles. 
And so there's not going to be many excuses now for this defensive line like there have been in the past few seasons because they've kind of just done their job and done what they're supposed to do. Well, their job's going to change now. It's going to be about getting after the passer in 2024. So you have to get more physical up front, protect Josh Hoover, run the ball well. And then I just sort of mentioned it. Secondly, or secondarily, they have to be more aggressive on defense. I talked about this last year, and this was pre the Texans game. So these numbers might have changed. But according to PFF, TCU had blitzed on 13% of snaps 10 games into the season. That was the lowest in the Power Five. It was tied with Northwestern for the lowest in the Power Five. So that mentality has to change. And it's not like, it's not automatically going to make the defense good. You still have to get home. You still have to, you know, understand your assignments, play sound fundamental football. But there has to be more of a commitment next year to make the quarterback uncomfortable. And what we saw towards the end of the season, and I ultimately think that Oklahoma game was really the breaking point for Sonny Dykes. I feel like if they would have kept OU to a normal scoring output, which, I mean, let's say let's say Oklahoma scores like 38 points in that game. And potentially TCU loses a one-possession ball game. And Oklahoma has a nice day offensively, but they don't just go off completely and score almost 70 points. Then maybe Joe Gillespie's still here. Now, I feel like what happened was good for the long-term health of the program. But I just I, I, I believe that was a breaking point because the whole point of this defense, and I've said this before, was to keep things in front of you, make offenses go on long, methodical drives in hopes that they would make a mistake. If you get them behind the chains on first down or if there's a penalty that sets them back, then you have the advantage. But they were still giving up big plays. Like, TCU defense was still giving up huge plays over the top in the passing game, and it just felt like teams had them figured out. If you isolate linebackers and safeties in space in the passing game, then you can make it happen because you're not going to get a lot of pressure from your defensive line. You don't have players coming from different angles and different avenues. You don't have a lot of disguises in coverage. You don't have a lot of disguises in the different blitz looks because there's no blitz looks. And so you can sort of allow your quarterbacks to sit back and make plays. And when they play good QBs like Shadur Sanders or Dylan Gabriel or Quinn Ewers in the first half of that game, they kind of settled in in the second half. Then. Those players made them pay. I mean, the Kansas State game was a disaster all around, but that combination of Will Howard and Avery Johnson had their heads spinning too. And so they're they're changing the philosophy now, trying to find a way to be more effective, and I think that starts with being more aggressive and disguising coverages, disguising you know blitz looks, bringing simulated pressures, not allowing opposing offenses to be comfortable to be able to trust their eyes. I think that's what Andy Avalos can bring to the table in 2024. And then the final thing is, and many of you have talked about this, you need to get better on special teams. You got a new kicker coming in, Kyle Limmerman. And somebody asked me a few uh, weeks ago, hey, what is, uh, what's the plan with like kicking and punting? Because Jordy Sandy is moving on. Um, Griffin Kell will also be moving on. How are they going to supplement that? Well, Kyle from South Lake Carroll uh, is arguably the best kicker in the country. Had a really good senior year for South Lake Carroll with a three-star commit, which is pretty r- rare for a uh, 
a kicker to get ranked. But Kyle Lerman had a fantastic season for the Dragons and should be ready to come in right away and uh, be the place kicker for the Frogs. And then punting-wise, Ethan Craw from Pro Kick Australia. So another, you know, another punter coming over from Australia. That's become a popular thing across college football. He'll be your new punter, presumably. So they're changing that up. Hopefully that's better. And the punt return and kick return game were just not effective this season. And I don't know what the fix is going to be at punt returner. Maybe it's JoJo Earl. You know, for years we were kind of spoiled. We've been spoiled at TCU with great punt returners, whether that was Darius Davis, Devontae Turpin, Des White, Sky Dawson, and Jeremy Curley. I mean, there's been a number of players that are just electric back there and were consistent in catching the football and not turning it over as well. Randy Carter was pretty good at it, too. The list goes on. This season didn't really have that. I mean, the the guy that they finally kind of settled on was John Paul Richardson because he was at least solid at catching the ball. But there were just way too many brain-dead mistakes as far as, you know, not calling fair catch when you needed to or fielding the ball inside the 10 when you should just let it go out of the end zone. And then kick return-wise, aside from Major Everhart having a really good kick return against Colorado in the opening game, they didn't really break much of anything in that facet of the ball game. And they just kept bringing it out from the end zone when it wasn't necessary. And they weren't getting back to the 25, and so you'd set yourself up in bad field position. The one that sticks out in my mind against Baylor before halftime, somebody brought it out from the end zone and only got to the 22. So they didn't get back to, like, they would have both saved time and had better field position if they just would have called a fair catch or let go out of the back of the end. But instead, they wasted time and got worse field position by returning it. And those types of decisions just happened over and over again. So hopefully Mark Tramadol and that aspect of the team can get better in 2024. When we come back, Texas loses in the playoff. We're officially in a new year. We are entering the new era for the Big 12. Is the Big 12 better now? We'll talk about that next here on Lockdown Horn Frogs. It's your team every day. FanDuel, we got one more week of the NFL regular season. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn, make a $5 money line bet on an NFL game. And if you hit on it, you'll get up to $150 in bonus bets. $150 in bonus bets if you just win one $5 money line bet. Crazy weekend. Cardinals beat the Eagles. Suddenly the Cowboys, if they beat the Commanders on Sunday, will be the two seed in the NFC and will potentially host two home playoff games which boys are undefeated at home this year, so that's a big deal. You can bet on that game or many others at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. They also have an app that's super easy to use. You can download that today. FanDuel, $5 money line bet. If you win, you get $150 in bonus bets. FanDuel's the official betting partner of the NFL and a proud sponsor of the LockedOn Network. They've been kind enough and generous enough to have this deal going all year long. Make sure you take advantage of it before the regular season ends. This Sunday, fanduel.com slash locked on. 
March Madness is right around the corner. If you want to win your office pool, you need to stay caught up with all the college basketball action with the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Every Monday, Andy Patton and Isaac Shade recap the biggest stories in college basketball, keep you up to date on the NCAA tournament bubble, and get you ready for the upcoming week of games. From the Big East to the Mountain West and everywhere in between, Andy and Isaac have college hoops covered on the Locked On College Basketball Podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. So I, I want to talk about the new Big 12 because we've, I mean, we still got basketball and baseball. So it's not officially over. But as far as football goes, Texas fell last night to Washington. I don't know where you stood on that. I mean, it's like, I didn't, I don't really have. I'm not like an SEC fan that just roots for my conference. And I didn't think it would have been beneficial for the Big 12 for Texas to win last night because even if they did and made the national title game, one, SEC people would claim it as an SEC victory. And if they won the national title, I think the Southeastern Conference would claim it as their own. And then secondly, I just don't want Texas fans to have that satisfaction, right? Like I'm. I'm petty, and I'll be honest with you. I really enjoy the fact that TCU is the only team in the state of Texas and the only Big 12 team that has a playoff game. Now, I hate that they got beat so badly by Georgia because it really takes a lot of the wind out of our sails as far as gloating goes, but I'll live off that Michigan game forever. There was some discourse last night about, like, hey, TCU fans, you got to stop holding on to that. Why would I ever stop holding on to that? Like, that was a huge moment. This idea of, like, you have to act like you've been there before and not enjoy that. No, that was that was the best sports moment of my life. The Mavericks have won a title. I've watched the Rangers win a title. I've been a suffering Cowboys fan forever. Nothing made me happier than TCU winning that game against Michigan. And, yes, it sucks that they got boat raced by Georgia. It stinks that they went 5-7 and seven this year. And it was really disappointing because it kind of played into a lot of the fluke narrative. But I don't like I don't buy into that. That was a great team. They got some good fortune, but you know what? So does everybody that goes on a run like that. And I, I think if they could do it over again, they would probably have a different mentality. And I don't know what Sonny Dykes thinks about the way they prepped for the national title game, but it was a perfect storm. Of Georgia was really good. They got scared by Ohio State. I think that was like a perfect motivator for them. They locked in. They took TCU seriously. And they won the game by a massive margin. But I'm never giving up. I'm, I'm going to hold on to that Michigan game forever. It's the greatest sports moment I've ever experienced. I'll always be happy about that. Nobody can take that away from me. And, yeah, I think TCU has the potential to, especially now with the new playoff, I think they have the potential to make it to the playoff. I think they have the potential to be a force in the new Big 12. Things have to change. Huge year for Sonny Dykes and the staff. But I'll always hold on to that win, man. That was amazing. And I'm I'm not going to let that die. But anyway, Texas loses. So it's easy you are still the only team in the state of Texas. I just want a playoff game, which is a fun fact that I'm going to hold on to as long as it's relevant. And we're now in the new world of the Big 12 when it comes to football. Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, all coming in 
They're joining the new arrivals that have now been here for a season in BYU, UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati. And I think it's an exciting time. I saw Robbie Traino, who used to cover, he used to work for SiriusXM and cover the Big 12. He was on their Big 12 Today show. Now he lives in Chicago and is doing radio there. But he, I think he just launched a podcast, and he's still really active on social media talking about the league. And somebody mentioned to him, somebody replied to him, because he was just commenting on everything that happened yesterday with Texas and you know losing the playoff game. And someone said, the Big 12 will be better than ever without the two who are leaving. And Robbie said, I get being excited about the future of the Big 12, but there's no way in heck this league is better without Oklahoma or Texas. If the SEC hypothetically told Brett Yormark he could have those two schools back, he'd do it in a heartbeat. Which is uh, a fascinating take. I think there's a couple ways we can go. First off, if the SEC came to Brett Yormark tomorrow and said, hey, you can have OU and Texas back, would he take them? Yeah, definitely think he would. I think he'd say, okay, we'd love to have them. That would give the Big 12, I guess, 20 schools with all the new additions and a really firm uh, foundation in Texas and in the south Southwest. Is the Big 12 better without those schools? I think it all depends on what your perspective is. I'm not dumb. I understand TV contracts. I understand money and branding. Texas know you are blue bloods. They bring eyeballs. People care about them. They're located in large metro areas. Well, Texas is, not so much OU. But OU is a flagship school of their state. They have a lot of T-shirt fans, which there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying there's a lot of people that did not go to those respective schools that cheer for those schools, root for them, travel, go to the games, all those things. So they have large fan bases. The Big 12 is, is now going to be different. From a television marketing perspective, from a branding perspective, the league is going to be significantly less without Texas and Oklahoma. There's really no debating that. Okay. Now, I think that being said, they've done a fantastic job of recovering. They outlived the Pac 12. Decent chance they're going to outlive the ACC, which I didn't think that was possible 14 months ago. But they've done it. But yes, from a, a money-making standpoint, branding standpoint, you're losing a lot with those schools leaving. And I, I get the linear nature of money equals resources, resources equals power, power leads to success. It's not the end all. It, it doesn't mean, like, you can have money and resources and still be bad, but all the schools that win titles, for the most part, they're in the major conferences. It will be fascinating to see if Washington can pull this off, though. Because Kalen DeBoer is an outstanding coach, and I don't really know enough about that university to say definitively like what their situation is resources-wise, but they're not your typical blue blood. Good history there, but they're not your typical like flagship program within college football. However, from a just fun standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, I'm excited about the new Big 12. I think it's great. I think TCU can be really successful in the league, which is what I care about. I mean, the the big question moving forward is, we are hurtling down a path where eventually a bunch of teams, or a bunch of teams, there will be some select teams that 
basically secede from the NCAA and create their own Super League within college football. Now, I don't know what the number, final number is going to be. I'm not sure it's going to be 40 teams, 50 teams, 60 teams. I don't know. It. I think we can confidently say right this moment that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be the two conferences that lead that charge. Because they're the ones that have the money and the resources and the autonomy to say, hey, we don't need you anymore because the NCAA, at least in football, we're good. Don't worry about us. We're going to break off. We're going to do our own thing. We have our own rules. And maybe we're going to start paying these athletes directly through our own endowment and donor money. Maybe those athletes are going to unionize. And we're going to have collective bargaining. We'll have our own playoff. Don't worry about it. And so the big question for TCU and the Big 12 is, will the Big 12 be involved with that? Can they be involved with it? Will they be invited to the party? Because if they're not, they'll still be playing football, but it'll theoretically be on a smaller level than the Super League that will exist above them. And that's, I mean, that's a huge question in the future of the sport. And it's a huge question for TCU, which is a school and a program that wants to compete nationally and compete for national titles. But, I mean, I think they've added good schools. I think TCU is going to have a chance to compete with all of them. And winning Big 12 championships would be a big deal. I mean, the Frogs have only won one, and it was a shared title. Like, as awesome as 2022 was, they still couldn't raise that trophy in Arlington. And so I think that's got to be the new, like, first goal. And then from there, you automatically make it to the playoff, and hopefully you can make it happen. But I'm excited about the new league. I think it's going to be great for TCU. I think it's going to be great for the Big 12. And, yes, you're losing some national prestige. That's not being argued. But is the league going to be more enjoyable and more fun and more competitive? I think so, and I think that could be good for the Big 12 as a whole. We'll come back. I want to get some of your reaction. Lockdown Horn Frogs, your team every day. These humans basketball beat Texas A&M Commerce yesterday. I don't really think there is much of anything you can take from that from that basketball game. They won 77 to 42. It was their holiday hoops event. They had the guys signing autographs before the game. They had a lot of different stuff going on. No disrespect to Texas A&M Commerce, but I think the fact they had the fellas signing autographs before the game kind of tells you how they thought that game was going to go. So they went handily. They finished conference play non-conference play 11 and 2. Those two losses were to Nevada and Clemson. And no rest for the weary. They get Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse on Saturday at 1 p.m. Then number 11 ranked Oklahoma Wednesday, January 10th at home. And then they'll host Houston Saturday the 13th. So we're going to find out a lot about this team really quickly. I, I don't know, man. They're athletic. They can make things happen. But I... At this moment, I don't think they have a go-to score. Jacoby Coles and Jameer Nelson Jr. have really cooled off. Emmanuel Miller and Micah Peavy have kind of been the guys, and if those are the two guys leading your offense, I don't love your chances in the Big 12. But we'll see. I mean, ultimately, they handled their business against the teams they should beat, but the two teams they played that really had a pulse and you think are borderline tournament teams or should be in the tournament, they lost to and... I mean, the scores were close, but the games themselves were not particularly close. DCU women, they won their Big 12 opener over BYU. And 
This team's fun to watch, man. Madison Connor, great shooter. Sedona Prince makes things happen on the inside. Jaden Owens has been leading the charge at point. They beat BYU 81-67. to They play Baylor tomorrow in Waco. Frogs ranked number 23 in the country. Baylor's ranked 16th. Now, one thing about this group, they're not very deep. I mean, they're, they built this thing really entirely through the portal. So they only go six or seven deep. Um, but their starters can go with anybody. And they're about to hit the teeth of the Big 12 schedule, and we'll find out how good they are. But uh, pay attention to what Mark Campbell is doing with that group because they have they've flipped the script. I mean, they won – they won one Big 12 game last year in the regular season. They won one tournament game. Probably should have beaten Oklahoma in the next round and made it to the semifinals, but lost. Uh, it wasn't on a buzzer beater, but OU hit a late shot to win that ball game. Anyway, point being, they've made a massive turnaround in year one. We'll see as the schedule uh, kind of winds up here how much they can do, but I like what I'm seeing from Mark Campbell and his squad. Last thing, I talked on. Thursday, I think it was Thursday, about Josh Hoover leading the charge in 2024. And if you feel like the Frogs need to go get a QB, um, Jacob Langford said, great year in 2023. And I remember the tennis team, maybe they can three-peat as indoor champs. Uh, Jacob is always, I was also talking about 2023, great accomplishments in TCU athletics. I mentioned the tennis men's tennis team winning an indoor title. Jacob's always reminded me about TCU tennis. David Rodi does a great job. Uh, yes, I hope they, they bring it home. I don't really know why. I would love to talk to Coach Roditi about why they're better on the indoor courts than the outdoor, but they've run the ICA indoor championships for the last two seasons, and I hope they can get things going on the outdoor court as well. And they've been really good. They just haven't, haven't won at all, which is obviously a high bar. Uh, Tanner McKinney said, I think they should really bring in a QB to battle. Josh and Haas, um, and have a real quarterback battle if they can. Well, we'll see. I, I don't think that's the plan to have a quarterback battle necessarily, but I totally get your perspective. Um, it feels like they're going to go after a guy that's just kind of a depth piece. Jim Norris says, I really don't understand why Bryles is still here. I thought he was a big part of the problem last year. I hope he proves me wrong, but I doubt it. Yeah, I mean, I think, honestly, it, it's just a factor of, Sonny is not ready to give up on that yet, and he wants to see Kendall with another year with a quarterback that's an incumbent and a reworked offensive line. But I think this is definitely a major, like, hey, either you do it or you don't. And if they can't get it done this year, they're going to have to move on. Uh, Matt Clark said, Savion had twice as many yards with Hoover as he did Morris against better competition. Is that the QB, Savion? I think there's a lot of possibilities, but I feel like Hoover played a big part. Yeah, Savion was definitely better. You know, one thing I'll say about Savion, it felt like the second half of the year he was more engaged. I know he had some stuff going on with his family. He had just had a baby at the start of the season. And maybe, like, as the year went on, kind of getting into a better rhythm, um, getting to practice more, that helped. But I definitely feel like he responded better to Josh Hoover. Um, and so... I think that's something that works in Josh's advantage. That was one thing I talked about. Like, just the team seemed to respond better when he took over as the quarterback. And I feel like, you know, that's the that's what they got to move with moving forward. Lockman said, TCU needs a quarterback. They're going to bring somebody in. I just don't think it's going to be somebody who brings in a ton of headlines or hype. 
But we'll see how they handle that. We'll be back tomorrow. It's Locked on Horn Frogs. It's your team, and we do it here every day. Uh, part of Locked on Network. Thank <laughs> you.